Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, we're going to go ahead this morning and start. um, What I want to do is sort of revisit, um, if you would, the last five weeks. And not not all in one (laughs) Not all in one hit, but you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, I want you to kind of see now um, the reason that God led us the direction that he has led us over the last five weeks. Because as you remember, um, the first four weeks I'm talking about of this five-week period, um, we started a series that was called Truth. Um, And we talked about the importance of truth and we talked about how truth is God and the truth is God's word and how we as a follower of Christ, how we as the church, we can't compromise the truth. Our responsibility is to not compromise the truth, but to simply surrender to it. Um, There is no compromise when it comes to God's word. God set the standard and it is our responsibility as his children to abide by that standard. And so we talked about that for four weeks, I believe it was. And then last Sunday, we took some time to set aside to simply remember what all that God has done for us. And we participated in communion, and and it's still amazing to hear um, some of the responses that we even heard from last week. Um, Little did I know, I would always think that... um, as we would come to take the Lord's Supper or communion that you know we want to do it with clean hands and a pure heart and we gave an opportunity to examine ourselves and we gave an opportunity to also make relationships right um, with people that, that maybe you have friction with or friction against. And I was blown away um, throughout this entire week of the text messages that I received, the conversations that I had where, where many of you, many in the next service, they literally took out their phones before we participated in communion and attempted to make relationships right. Um, can I tell you that God will honor that? God will honor your obedience and doing exactly what he's commanded you to do. Um, but as you see, we talked about truth We looked at communion, we remembered what all God has done, and as we shared last week, when we think back on all God has done for us, it has to produce a response in us. You can't think about a love like that. You can't think about a father's love to give his only son to die for you and I without it producing some sort of response as a child of God, of overwhelming thankfulness and hopefully overwhelming just surrender And so all that was preparing us for what we're gonna begin doing today, and that's beginning to look in the book of James. Because the book of James, um, at the end of the day, you're gonna realize this is a book full of hard truth. This is a book full of, of hard truth that my prayer has been that it's gonna produce a response in all of us as his children. And so the important thing that we have to remember is that how we respond to a book like James 
essentially is gonna reflect how well we understand the love of God and how we understand um, the sacrifice that was made for all of us. You know, the book of James, it often gets a, a bad rap, per se, because especially, you know, we're gonna preach on grace. We're always gonna preach on grace, but then the book of James, you, you begin to unpack it, and many will say that that's just a book full of legalism. What we have to understand is we wanna change that perspective. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, my prayer has been is that we must understand that the book of James is all about a response, a response to the gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This book is often um, looked at as a book that gives us a way to achieve our salvation, that we can work for it, that we can somehow be good enough and, and God will love us because we can check all the boxes, that God will love us if we can cross all the T's and dot all the I's. But what we have to realize, again, is it's not a way to work for our salvation, but it's simply a response to our salvation. It's a response that better we understand the salvation that has been given to us, the more our life will reflect that. Because you see, the book of James is all about works, and it's all about us expressing our faith by how we work. And so if you're here this morning and you declare yourself a Christian, you better live like one. I know that's pretty harsh. Again, that's why we talked about the hard truth a few weeks ago. But at the end of the day, if you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, then it's time we live like it. It's time we walk like it. It's time we talk like it. And the way that I wanna look at it this morning is, I would ask you the question, if you were on trial, if you were being accused, or you were being convicted of being a Christian, apart from you saying it with your mouth, is there enough evidence that could be presented to the jury and the judge that would prove you guilty of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Is there enough evidence in the people that you do life with? Would they have enough evidence by the way they listen to you talk, the way they watch you walk, that they could present all of that evidence and you would be found guilty of being a Christian? Or... Would the jury be undecided? Because the only way they know you're a Christian is because you say you are. And so that's what this entire book is about. If you've truly been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then your life's gonna reflect it. Then your life's gonna show it. No, we're not perfect, but we're pursuing we're pursuing a life of righteousness. Proverbs 15, nine. The Lord detests the ways of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. So a true believer is gonna produce the fruit of a believer. What we say should not contradict how we live. What we say should not contradict how we live. I found this quote this week and it really just slapped me 
right across the face. It says, if you truly are a Christian by belief, you too should be one by behavior. If you truly are a Christian by belief, you too should be one by behavior. Now understand the context of this book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to the, to the Jews who have been converted to Christianity, those who have lived under the law, those who have followed the rules their entire life, and now they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and so they've been converted, and now they profess Christianity. They now profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, and as a result of that, they are being persecuted. As a result of their faith in Jesus Christ, they are in the midst of a trial. They're in the midst of persecution. And their persecution, honestly, we can't even hold a candle to what they're experiencing. I want you to go ahead, James chapter one, verse one. And we're gonna unpack this just one verse at a time. And today is gonna be different in that you're gonna find that when we come to the close of this morning, it is gonna come to a very abrupt ending. Okay, it's kind of like that to be continued. You just sort of have to hang on um, until next week, and that's why I'm praying to God you're gonna be back next week. Because look, what we have to understand is that what we're gonna be looking at over the next little bit in the book of James is a lot of hard truth. James chapter one, verse one. In the greetings, James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, dispersed abroad, greetings. So he's writing this to the 12 tribes who have been dispersed. There's reason to believe that the reason that they've been dispersed followed right after Stephen had been stoned to death. The tribes left for protection. They, they were ran out of the city. And so now James is writing this to encourage them. So not only is he writing to encourage them, but he's also gonna give them what they need to be able to apply their faith, to live out their faith. Now, don't forget what their faith has cost them. Many of them, you're gonna see they were being persecuted and they were living in poverty. The reason that they were living in poverty is because many of them were, were tent makers. Many of them had their own businesses, but as they professed their faith in Jesus Christ, many of the Jews would stop buying things from them. They would stop using their, their resources. And so now they're experiencing Poverty, they have nothing because now the Jewish people will no longer buy from them. They will no longer provide what they need. And so not only are they facing this, but they're facing persecution as many of them have lost their businesses. They're being persecuted to even to the point of death. They're losing their life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And many of them are being exiled from their families. Now, this is how extreme they've been exiled from their families. Many of those families would hold mock funerals to pretend that that individual was dead because in their flesh, they were dead to them. They disowned them. They no longer claimed them as family because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so James is riding them in the midst of what seems to be a nightmare, what seems to be the toughest trial that many of them have walked through. And then he doesn't, um, he doesn't take his time he doesn't enter this conversation lightly. He doesn't enter into it, doesn't wade into the waters. Look what he says in verse two. 
in spite of what you're walking through, in light of what you're walking through, consider it great joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, keep in mind everything that we just said they're experiencing. And as we look at verse two, while we know the context of this is written to the persecuted Christian, there is so much in this for them, but I truly believe that even in our day and age, there's a lot in verse two for you and I. There's a lot in verse two for all of us. And James comes out of the block giving some very, very strong instruction in regards to trials and what you're gonna read later to temptation. But the first point I want us to look at is that, that word, whenever. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever. Some of your Bibles may say when. And I would venture to say that probably none of you, that there's not an accurate Bible translation that says, if ever trials come. I don't believe that if it says that, that it's not accurate at all. Because it's not a matter of if they ever come, but James is very clear on what he's telling the Christian when they come, whenever they come. And so what we have to realize this morning is that along with the many other guarantees we have in our faith, one of those guarantees is that trials are coming. There's some gospels that are being preached that you're hearing taught that if you follow Jesus, that this is the way to avoid trials. This is the way to avoid the hardships of life. You just place your faith in Jesus and everything will get better. Why do you think there's so many people that are so negative about Jesus? Because they feel they're being lied to. And can I tell you this morning, if you've ever been told, if you will place your faith in Jesus, that everything will get smooth, everything will be, get easier, can I tell you this morning, because I love you, you've been lied to. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know for a fact that that's not the truth. And James tells the believer this. Trials are coming. That word whenever, there's a lot in that word. What this word alludes to is that what is coming, the trials that are headed our way, they're unpredictable. Trials that are headed our way are unpredictable. And many of them come out of nowhere. And as I'm even talking about them coming out of nowhere, subconsciously your mind right now is going back to a time where something came out of nowhere. There's probably not an individual in the room that hasn't received that one phone call that changed the trajectory of your day. For many of you, that phone call you received may have changed the trajectory of your life. A trial may have taken place and you found out through that phone call that things will never be the same. Things will never be the same again. And that is a result of the trials come whenever. They come out of nowhere. They come unexpectedly. 
And so this word whenever, it talks about the timing of them. You say, boy, Brian, that really narrows it down. That's just what the truth says. It would be a lot easier if we knew they were coming. It would be a lot easier if we knew what was headed our way. But in the sovereignty of God, that's not his plan. That's not his instruction. That's not how he operates. And so James is making the believer aware that here's when the trials will come. When you least expect it. When you least expect it is when they will come. So whenever talks about the when, and then that word various, some of your Bibles probably say many. That word various talks about what kind of trials are coming. And I understand the context of what we're reading. The trial that he is alluding to for these believers is the trial of persecution. But I also want us to understand, and I think James wants them to know, and he also wants us to know, that the reason that they use the word many, the reason that the writer uses the word various is because trials are not limited to just persecution of a believer. This is trials of many kinds. Let's take it a step further. This is the trial of any kind. When you think about that phone call that changed everything, maybe on that phone call you heard about a death. Maybe on that phone call you heard about a sickness. Maybe in that phone call you heard about a job loss. Maybe on that phone call you, felt about a, you heard about a lost relationship. And the list could go on and on and on and on. And so the reason that James uses the word various is because he wants to make us, the church, the follower of Christ, aware that trials are coming and they're unexpected and we have no idea what they're going to look like. And for us, that's a very hard truth that we don't know what's coming. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but praise be unto God. What we're going to celebrate in a minute is we know who holds tomorrow. And that's what James is going to continue talking about. But as we sit here right now in this moment, it is with such a heavy heart that there's no doubt in my mind that many of you right now, maybe you're reliving that moment Maybe you're reliving that trial, whether you found out by a phone call, whether you found out by something you watched, something you saw, something you were a part of. And in that moment, that trial came out of nowhere and it completely turned your world upside down. I remember the day, I remember where I was the morning that I received a phone call from my mom that my mom was at the hospital with my dad and with tears in her voice she just told me, she said, Brian, the plan is to make him comfortable. That changed the trajectory of my life. After that phone call, everything changed. Five minutes before, I had just left church. I was on cloud nine. 
And five minutes later, it says, if the world comes crashing around me. And every one of us in here today have felt that. Every one of us in this room has experienced that. And so James is writing to individuals as a result of their faith. They're living what they consider a disaster. They've lost loved ones. Their life is being threatened. They're living in poverty. And so just like that, everything has changed for them. But as a result of all these circumstances changing, one would read it on the surface and see what James says and how to respond to it. And you would think the audacity of James to tell me to count it joy. Count it joy when that phone call comes out of nowhere. Count it joy when you receive the news that changes everything. Now, I want us to understand, first and foremost, what James is not saying. James is not saying, put a smile on your face. James is not saying, celebrate what just took place. James is not saying, fake it till you make it. That's not at all what James is saying. You think about Mary and Martha as they were losing Lazarus. Jesus shows up on the scene. Did Jesus go bebopping up in there and say, ladies, count it all joy. Everything's great. No, what did Jesus do with them? He wept with them. He was broken with them. And just for a side note, just for a little like funeral home and hospital etiquette, don't ever walk up to a funeral home and someone who's lost a loved one and look at them in the eyes and say, count it all joy. Please don't do that. Don't go up into the hospital with someone who's just been diagnosed with a deathly disease. Don't walk in the room with a smile on your face and say, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. That's what James tells us to do. That's because we have the misunderstanding of what joy is. Joy does not mean be happy. Happy is an emotion driven by circumstances. Happy comes and goes. But I want you to listen to what joy is. Joy is the decision made based off the reality of who God is. Joy is a decision that is based off the reality of who God is. Joy is trusting in that Jesus is in control. Joy is placing your faith that when it was unexpected to you, it was not unexpected to him. With everything that Israel has experienced over the last 48 hours, can I tell you that while it caught the people of Israel off guard, while it may have caught us off guard, what we have to understand is that in the sovereign hand of God, this didn't catch him by surprise. We've read about it. We know that what is coming to fruition is what has already been spoken of and the holy truth of God's word. So it shouldn't even catch us by surprise. 
But if we were in Israel today, we're not going to tell the, the people of Israel, count it all joy. Put a smile on your face. No, we're going to tell them, you trust in the sovereign hand of God. You trust God with the unexpected. You trust God that in his sovereign will, that everything is working together for his good, for his glory. And to have joy is to make up our mind to trust even when it seems impossible. Joy is making up our minds that we're gonna trust him even when it seems impossible. Joy is knowing full well that whatever you face, he's still in control. But he himself is the very place he wants you to turn. He himself is the very place that he wants you to turn. And we read all about this, all throughout scripture. Psalms 34, 15 the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And listen to this. And his ears are open to their cry for help. I don't know about you, but there is such confidence in knowing that I serve a God whose ears are always turned to me, whose ears are always listening for my cry for help. Isaiah 41, verse 10, don't fear for I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you and I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. That is joy. It's placing our peace and our hope and our trust in those promises. In knowing that God is who he says he is. And James is encouraging these persecuted believers. Look, I know what you're facing seems impossible. I know what you're facing is difficult, but I just simply want you to trust our Father, to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. And at the end of the day, that's just a decision that we have to make is we have to be determined that we're just gonna choose to trust him. That we're just gonna simply choose to trust him. And so while James is preparing them, he's preparing us that these trials are gonna come at the least expected time and there is no limit on what that trial may look like. But we also have to understand this, and this is the hard part of spiritual growth, that in the middle of those trials, we have to understand that God is working in us. God is working in us as his children. Look at verse three and four. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. What we all need to do today is recognize the purpose of a trial. 
the purpose of what we walk through. And it's very clear. The purpose of it is, you just read it, to test your faith. And I guess the simplest question that I could ask that could could test our faith is this, when you face a trial, where do you turn? When you face a trial, where do you turn? When you receive that phone call, where do you wanna run? When you experience something that turns your life upside down, where do you run? Because here's the truth. Where you run is where your faith is. Where you're running is what you're trusting. So if you were to examine your life right now and you think back on the trials of your life, where did you turn when disaster came? Did you turn to him or did you turn to the things of the world? When things go wrong, when things get disastrous, where do you turn? Do you turn to alcohol? Do you turn to to habits or hobbies that kind of just smokescreen over the reality? Is there certain fleshly people that you turn to? I understand God's gonna place people around us, but we have to also realize that those people are not God. Where do you turn when these trials come? Because where you turn exemplifies where your faith is. But this is where we have to make up our mind as a child of God. Is that when trial comes, I've got to turn to the Father. And what is mind-blowing to me, and this is, a, this is one of the hardest truths to discover to understand, and we truly, fully won't comprehend, I don't think, until we're into the presence of God. But God uses trials. God allows trials to take place because he desires intimacy with you so that when the trial comes, he simply wants you as his child to run to him. And he's willing to let those things happen so that you will in turn trust him, so you will in turn run to him, so you will in turn place your trust in his sovereign work. Because he wants you to trust him instead of the world. You know, to be honest with you, you know, when things are great, even as a child of God, when things are going smooth, and you know, you all have those seasons when you just feel like you're on top of the world. Everything you touch turns to gold. It's just like you're just winning, just one after the other. And yeah, we'll pause in those moments to thank God. God, things are great. I'm gonna give you all the glory. We do that. We thank him. We praise him with a smile on our face. 
but you let a tragedy come. And if your faith is truly in him, you'll turn to him like never before. You'll praise him, but it sounds different. You'll trust him, but it sounds different. So do you see the difference? When are we most dependent upon God? When things are hard. When things are hard is when we're the most dependent upon him. And there's nothing that makes the father's heart happier than when his children are fully dependent upon him. And if those things were always easy, if things were always smooth, do you see what would happen to our trust and our faith in God? It would quickly diminish because we are fleshly people. And we would think that now that the way things are going, it's gotta be a result of how good I'm doing. But the father's heart is he wants us to trust him. Y'all know I'm very simple-minded and I have to see visuals to understand things. And as I was praying Tuesday, preparing this, this would be my modern day parable that I think that the Lord spoke and showed me. Y'all all seen Easton, my little almost two-year-old. His new thing now, it doesn't matter if it's a FaceTime on the phone or it'll happen in just a minute when Chelsea goes and gets him after church. As soon as he sees me, there's this high squeal, just, I don't even understand it. Hey! I mean, you can't tell if he's crying or if he's excited. But there is such a joy in his heart to see his daddy. And so what happens if he comes upstairs in just a moment, he'll probably be in the best mood because they've gave him sugar. He's been a center of attention and he's on cloud nine. And as soon as Chelsea will bring him and he sees me, he's gonna do that. Hey! And she's gonna put him on the ground and it doesn't matter where I'm at. If I'm located on this side and he's on that side, with everything in him, he is gonna sprint to me. Well, it's like this bow-legged, pigeon-toed thing. He's gonna do everything he can to get to me. And things are great. However, it's gonna be great. He's gonna end up in my arms until he gets distracted. And all that takes is somebody between point A to point B to have another cookie. <laughs> or if somebody says his name, or if somebody just jumps in front of him. And all of a sudden, that same energy, that same love that he had for me, it gets distracted and it's dispersed elsewhere. However, you let my little boy get hurt. Now this is excluding mamas in the room because he's turned into this mama's boy and I don't like it at all. <laughs> but if he were to walk into the room in just a moment, and he were to fall down and bust his lip, bust his nose. His love for me hasn't changed, but his desire to be with me has been fueled. And so while he sees daddy on this side of the room, while he's hurting, while he's broken, 
He's gonna start out with the very same energy that he did to get to me to begin with when he was in a great mood. But guess what's gonna happen between point A and point B? There will nothing distract him to keep him from coming to daddy. Because he knows if I can just get in daddy's arms, daddy's gonna hold me. Daddy's gonna love me. And daddy's gonna make me better. Do you see church? That's exactly the way we treat our heavenly father. We wanna run to him when things are great. But if something distracts us, it derails all of that energy. But as a child of God, you walk through hurt. You walk through trial. You walk through disappointment. And if you're truly trusting in who God is, and he is who he says he is, then there's nothing that's gonna stop you from getting into his presence. Because you know, he's not necessarily gonna make all this go away. But my father's gonna hold me. My father's gonna give me strength to make it. I shared a little bit of a, of this with a bunch of fifth graders on Friday at Chicopee Elementary School. And I asked these little children, what is James talking about when he says that you'll, be given, you'll have endurance? And this little fifth grade girl looks at me and she says, God will give me strength. And can I tell you that I was in a room full of fifth graders and I asked each of them, who was walking through a trial? Did you know every one of those little broken kids raised their hand? But as a fifth grader, she began to know that God's gonna give me strength to make it. God's gonna give me strength to get through it. And that's the very thing that this father wants my little two-year-old to know. That the more he experiences me, the more he experiences my love, the more he's gonna trust me. So when he's 16 years old and he gets his heart broken, when he's 18 years old and he gets his heart broken, when all the disaster comes, when he's 25 years old, because of what he learned as a little baby, he's gonna be able to exercise that because he's gonna be able to trust daddy. You see, that's the heart of our God. He wants to allow you to walk through these trials so that as you keep growing in your faith, you're made stronger, not because you're the strongest person in the world, but because God is increasing your faith in him. He's showing you, he's proving you, proving to you that he is who he says he is. You know, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 9, he's writing to the church of Corinth and he says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our afflictions, our trials that take place in Asia. We are completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. How many of you in the room right now, you can say, Brian, that's me. I'm completely overwhelmed beyond my strength. But then Paul goes on to say, 
so that when we even despaired of life itself, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises us from the dead. Very simply stated, Paul is saying, we didn't like the trial, but the trial purged us of self-reliance. The trial stripped us of depending upon ourselves. And so this is the abrupt hard ending I was talking about for this morning. The hard truth that comes with the first four verses of James is trials are coming. Next week, we're gonna talk about temptation coming, but we're gonna unpack how we fight them both by the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're here this morning and, and a trial is your current reality. A trial is the situation that you are living in right now in this moment. And all I simply wanna do today is invite you to take a step towards the one that will give you the strength to overcome it. The one who's gonna give you the endurance. The one's gonna help you make, mature you in your faith. The one that's gonna help you begin to trust him more. Maybe today you've been through that trial and you've made it out on the other side. You need to thank God that, that the ability to make it through that was not because of you. It's because he brought you through. And so my prayer is, my, my invitation is this morning is exactly what we read earlier. The first step is to step towards him and cry for help. Step towards him and cry for help. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, a verse that we could all probably quote. For I know that the plans that I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you future and hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. When you search for me, with all of your heart. So today, will you take that step forward? And I know that this is, like I said, we're just sort of slamming on the brakes. But I believe this is the first step in us placing our trust in the one who can. You're gonna read later in James chapter four, verse eight, where we read, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And so this morning in response, 
I would wonder who would be broken enough to acknowledge that a trial is my current reality. That that's what I'm living in. Or maybe the trial happened several years ago and you're still hurting as a result. All I wanna ask you to do this morning is draw near to him and let him draw near to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.